0: I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word this morning to the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 37. Um, We are going to be receiving uh, several uh, new members this morning. Uh, Several by profession of faith, which is always very exciting. Um, And also some by way of reaffirmation. Of faith, and so, what I wanted to do is take this as an opportunity uh, to look at the essential reason that we have church membership. So, so often uh, we can lose sight of what is really uh, going on with church membership, and um, and so I, I want us to to refocus ourselves here. Uh, this is a text that I like to. To teach or preach very early on uh, at, at a time when I come to a church. I did not get to do that this time, as um, four weeks or five weeks in, all of a sudden we had this weird pandemic thing pop up and everything uh, got a little weird and crazy around here. Uh, and so this is a, a, the first real opportunity to sink our teeth into these things. I think for those who have been here since I arrived, you're going to see why I have uh, spent my time doing the things that I do, emphasizing the things that I emphasize, because our calling as the church is, is a quite simple calling, um, and we don't need to make these things overly complicated. The title for our sermon this morning is Living for God and One Another in Gospel Community. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your awe to come upon us once again and to reorient our hearts and our minds and our wills to your glory. That we, would, that we would long and crave that long for and crave that glory. That your glory would constrain the way we get out of bed in the morning and the way we conduct ourselves through the day. That it would constrain the way we lay down our heads at night. That there would not be one aspect of our lives and especially the life of this church that is not set upon your glory, enjoying your glory, testifying to your glory, embracing that glory, embodying that glory and extending that glory to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so reveal yourself to us afresh today as we marvel at this this inauguratory sermon telling us from the very beginning, Lord, what we are to be about as your people. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, there are going to be several... Several things in the text that I read this morning that I'm not going to attempt to touch this morning because there's a whole lot there that uh, has been used by different groups to come up with some very interesting doctrines and practices. But uh, what I want to do is kind of give us the the big picture and then dive into some of the details. And the big picture, as we are looking at this first sermon... That is being pre- This is the conclusion of the first sermon uh, being preached by the Apostle Peter on the Pentecost as the Spirit has come and has filled the disciples uh, and as they are now testifying to the how great God is, they are testifying. They are using words to celebrate who God is and to celebrate what God has done. And what has happened is there are people that have come to Jerusalem for Pentecost that speak different languages and they are all hearing the Apostle Peter in their own language. And what Peter is doing is he is preaching the crucified and resurrected Christ. That Jesus is the long-awaited fulfillment of the promises of God going all the way back to that promise in Genesis 3.15 of a seed who would come as God would unveil His grace through the ages by providing a Savior, by providing a champion, by providing one who would come and who would overcome their sin and overcome death for them. And Jesus did this as he was born into this world. And as in his earthly ministry, he didn't just live an upright life, he embodied the very uh, miraculous realities of the heavenly places as the power of God was present in and through him as he manifested the heavenly places and the miracles that he worked. Jesus was one who was sent by God to do miraculous things because that's what we need. But that's also, that's who God is. He longs to set how awesome he is before us so that we take that in and it actually affects us. That it's not just something, a a truth or a doctrine to know but that God's presence and power actually moves us, that it makes us different. And the long-awaited Savior, Peter said, he came, and then y'all killed him. Now, he says, this all happened according to God's purposes. God was not surprised, Jesus was not surprised, they knew that this was part of what was going to happen as Jesus was, the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. But what, what Peter's trying to help them to see is that their hope, the reason that they've come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, the, what they are looking for in their celebrations is they're looking for God to fulfill promises. That's why they're there. And what they don't understand is that God has fulfilled the very promises that have led them to come worship. And he says, Jesus, the hope that you have is embodied in the life and ministry of Jesus. And those who are listening... This covenant people who grew up with, with, uh, with the understanding of God's covenant promises, with the understanding of the redemptive history of Israel, with the understanding that they were part of a people looking for a Savior, they realize the Savior came and we killed him. What do we do, Peter? Repent and be baptized. Now, he's not saying that baptism is the way that you are regenerated. He is speaking to covenant people who were living under the old covenant sign of circumcision. And with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the new covenant that was promised by God has been instituted. And so, what do they need? As an expression of their faith, they need to take the new covenant sign. So old covenant people embracing the new covenant uh, Savior in Jesus Christ need to take the sign of the new covenant because God's promises have become fulfilled and the sign of being part of the covenant people of God has now transitioned away from the shedding of blood because the ultimate blood has been shed by Jesus on the cross, and instead they are to be baptized. Baptism for them was an expression of embracing the new covenant Savior and the new covenant realities that were present in him. He is not saying you have to be baptized to be saved. He's speaking to old covenant But the same threefold designation of how the benefits of God could be enjoyed by sinners, the threefold designation of those who trust their children and those who are part of the Gentile world, that same threefold designation that was part of the old covenant promises attached with circumcision in Genesis 17, those same three designations are present in the new covenant as well. The work of Jesus Christ and the promises that he has fulfilled are promises for those who believe, for their children, and for anyone who was part of any Gentile nation throughout the globe who will embrace Jesus Christ by faith. This is what Jesus has fulfilled. And these promises are for any and every who will look to Jesus Christ and who will trust him as their Savior. There is a wonderful benefit in being what we call a covenant child and growing up in the church just as there was a blessing of being a covenant child and growing up within Israel. It was a much better situation to grow up in Israel than to grow up in Babylon when it came to the truth of God and when it came to the means of grace that God had provided his people in the sacrificial system. But one of the things that was absolutely necessary for for the old covenant people of God to remember is that simply being a member of the covenant did not mean that they were actually saved. That even those who were in covenant, those who were in a covenant family, those who had the oracles of God, those who had uh, the, the sacrificial system, even those who lived in Jerusalem where they could see and smell the temple, that that was not enough. That even covenant children have to own the covenant privileges and responsibilities through exercising their faith. And so what we see here at the beginning is this transition from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant. And there's a lot of continuity with what has already been part of the life of God's people, but there's also some newness here as this the people... Um, of of these people as they are embracing Jesus Christ are called to let go of the sins and the promises, of the sins and, and, and and the expectations of the crooked generation that they were living in. Now remember, once again, he is addressing mainly Old Covenant people people who had the law. And throughout the ministry of Jesus, what did we see Jesus having to do with those who thought they had it all figured out? He constantly had to help them understand that they were misinterpreting and certainly misapplying the Old Testament. There is a problem for for those who are living according to these The the expectations that were embodied in the teachings of the Pharisees. They thought that what they were waiting for in a Messiah was a a warrior king to ride in on a a white horse and, and slay Rome and to slay any Gentile and take anyone that was circumcised or living under the old covenant to raise them up to become rulers over all the world. That's what they were looking for. And when a humble Savior came emphasizing humble devotion to the Lord, came emphasizing a a humble trust that reflected itself in actually loving God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, actually loving your neighbor, right? Not using your neighbor, not saying nice things, you know, outwardly about your neighbor, but then using them for your own good, actually loving your neighbor, actually laying down your life and your rights for your neighbor, actually trying to help exalt your neighbor, actually trying to promote the life and well-being of your neighbor. As Jesus said over and over and over, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, going back to Matthew chapters 5 through 7, you have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, I for an eye, but I say. Right? Love is. Your neighbor. If someone smacks you in the face, turn the other cheek and give them opportunity for that one as well. If someone asks for your tunic, give him your outer cloak as well. Go above and beyond in giving of yourself to your neighbor. In living for God by living for your neighbor there was this community aspect that was always supposed to be a part of the people of God and yet what people had done was they were abusing the law in order to ignore the stuff that they didn't like the stuff that was costly for them and instead they liked to emphasize emphasize things that gave them power over others This is why, for example, in Ezekiel 34, God has to say to the leadership of Israel, you are wolves instead of shepherds. You eat the sheep. You fleece the sheep. You use the sheep. And in Micah, God through Micah reminds the leaders that they they are so evil in the way that they scheme after taking others taking others' inheritance that they can't even sleep at night because the wheels keep turning on. Well, here's a strategy for, take, for taking what belongs to my neighbor, and here's a strategy for how I can get something from my neighbor so that it can become mine. And what were they taking? They were taking things that were part of the inheritance that God had given to Israel. God gave you an inheritance as an expression of His goodness, as an expression of His grace, as an expression of His life with you. And what are you stealing? You're stealing those things that God had given to those people in order for them to taste and see that He's good and to know that He was with them. And this is why it was so evil the way that they used The law and abused it and misinterpreted and misapplied it in order to get something from others instead of realizing that what the law was calling them to do was because they have received all things from God that they opened themselves up to entering into the rhythm of generosity of God Himself and to take what God had given and use it to bless others. This is what they were called to be and called to do. And as an expression of this in this world, what God said is, this is what's going to make you shine as a light to the nations so that the nations will, will see my glory and that the nations will come to me. But instead, what happened was they lived for themselves and God had to judge them and he had to send them out of the land. And when they went out of the land, they didn't learn. They continued to do things the same way. And so in Ezekiel 36, God says, all right, I'm going to bring you back to the land now. And I'm going to bring you back because the way that you were abusing my name and the way you were treating one another, you're now doing it out there. So I'm going to bring you back to the land, not because you've repented and and not because you've learned. I'm going to bring you back because you're spreading your problem to even deeper places. All of this going on in the history of Israel that comes to this this amazing expression as Jesus comes into this world and he has to deal with this greed, this abuse of power, this, this misinterpretation and application of the scripture that is all about as we talked about in Sunday school this morning with the kids, where Jesus says all of the law and prophets is summed up with love your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They had turned it into use God and use your neighbor. But have the right morality that says that you're the ones who are in the right. Jesus came and he crushed all of that. And he spoke very directly to those false interpretations and to those false applications. Read through the Gospels and one of the things you will find is that every time that Jesus is talking to someone who would have been considered lowly and, and, and sinful, someone who would, have been, who would have been seen as being awful, He deals with them gently. He deals with them very patiently. When he deals with his disciples, there are times where he deals with them that way. But then he also at times has to say, what's going on, guys? Are y'all still so thick-headed you're not getting it? But whenever Jesus is addressing one of the the, uh, spiritual authorities, one of the Pharisees or Sadducees or the scribes or one of those in authority who were the know-it-alls and who were the ones who had set themselves up of saying, you've got to listen to us. In all of his interactions with them, he is constantly cutting them in half. Because to love them, he had to do that. Now, he also was righteous, and had the character and the holiness and the righteousness to do that uh, without sinning. But there was a real problem here. And part of the reset of the people of God that we see here in Acts chapter 2 is that those who are embracing Jesus Christ by faith, those who are who are re- revealing their trust in Jesus Christ by receiving the sign of the covenant as they receive the sign and as they pass the sign on to their children and now they call their children to see the fulfillment of all of these promises in Jesus Christ and for them to embrace him by faith as well and as as they seek to call others who are not just right there in their little group but to look outside of their walls to call people to embrace Jesus Christ by faith as they they are resetting that, that identity, that calling, that mission as the covenant people. What we see is the way the cross of Jesus Christ is not just a doctrine that they embrace intellectually. It is a very way of life that they engage in on a daily basis as they take up the cross to follow their Savior by living for God and living for one another. And the community that we see that is being developed here in Acts chapter 2, which continues throughout the book of Acts, is a community of faith that is not based... Upon a wrong interpretation and a wrong application of the Old Testament. It is not a community that is based on how do we take the commands of the Old Testament and how do I take those commands and how do I beat my neighbor up with those commands in order to get something from them? How do I take the commands of God and tell them, ho, you're supposed to do this for me. The Bible says it. Instead, they become a people that is filled with a recognition that everything commanded in the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And their interaction with those commands is different now. Because of Jesus Christ and because he has fulfilled that righteousness and because of the imputation of that righteousness by faith, I get to express thanksgiving and gratitude to God by striving to reflect his commands in my life as I use those commands to help me express love to God and love to my neighbor. And the generosity of of Jesus Christ, the one who became poor in order that we might become rich, that generosity of spirit, that rhythm of grace of Jesus Christ, it comes to reflect itself. Is it just me? Is everybody hearing that? I'm speaking on high now. (laughs) So you better pay real close attention right now that embodied life and ministry of Jesus Christ takes up its residence in the life of his people. A people of grace. A people of love. A people of costly discipleship. As they see themselves as this new covenant community in Jesus Christ. Christ. Community is one of those words that we love to throw around, and, and because it's a nice word, it, it, it means nice things, and we typically uh, connect with the word community really well, but it's one of those words that we can often use in ways that we're not really not, we're really not clear on. What is community? Community is, is a togetherness. It's a shared commitment. That's what it means. It's when people come together because there is something that they share. There is something that they have in common. There is a commonality that, that kind of defines who they are as individuals, and it, it comes to define the group as a whole, as these individuals who are characterized by these things come together as a group. The reason this word is so important for us as Christians is because when you come to new life in Jesus Christ, as as you are crucified with Christ and as you are raised with him by faith, every single one of us now have a commonality that transcends any and everything here on earth. We have a commonality in the shared life of Jesus Christ himself. And through our union with Christ, we have been drawn into the life, love, and mission of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have a heavenly commonality. We have an eternal commonality commonality we have a commonality and a shared life that is not based on do you like the same music it's not based on do you like the same worship music it's not based on what movies do you like or what's your occupation or what political party are you or oh dare I say it what colors your skin or or how much money do you have or do you share my personal preferences about masks or are you one of those other mask people and if you notice, I didn't tell you anything about where I am on masks. I've learned that much in ministry. Right? We take, what, uh, we take these earthly things, and a lot of times, we take whatever the zeitgeist of the day is, and we take those, and we start defining ourselves by them. And we, what we do is we find other people who share that, those same things, and we become this group. And not what the church is. The church has one commonality. And that is being raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Where you were dead in your sins, but now have been made alive in Jesus Christ. Where the shared commonality that we have is life in Christ. That's the commonality. That is the commonality and that is what defines and determines community for us as a church. This is why we like to say things like we are a community of faith because we are a community whose commonality comes from one thing, a shared life in Jesus Christ and a commitment to engage this world together, locked arm in arm as representatives and ambassadors of that shared life. That's what it means to be church. That's what it means to be a community of faith, a community of togetherness and commitment as we we engage what transcends our natural connections. Is the community of Grace Covenant Church supernatural, or is it natural? Is it because we all have the same perspective on homeschooling or Christian education? Is it because we have the same political affiliations? Is it because we are able to be comfortable We get to leave the world where things are difficult and messy and and we get to have an escape where we come together with people who are just like us so that we get a break. Or are we a people who have a shared life in Jesus Christ where every single one of us is stumbling and teetering And sometimes moving forward, sometimes moving backwards, but attempting to love God and to love our neighbor and allow God through his word, through his prayer, through his sacrament to change us more and more into Jesus Christ. We can't all be alike because we won't have anyone to help us. We've got to have... these these different experiences and perspectives as we are all committed to trying to live out God's truth. Because none of us have all of the truth completely figured out perfectly. And so look at the community of faith that is described here in Acts 2. They are committed, they are devoted to four essential things. Churches can be known for a lot of different things. but the church here in Acts 2 are known for four things. By, 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 uh, by the way, when it says here in Acts 2:42 that they devoted themselves, it's a bad translation, because what's actually being described here, this is, a, this is not a verb. Uh, in which they are, are saying, here's what they did. This is a participle, which means it's an adjective. This is what they were known for. Now, obviously, they had to do those things to become known for them, but this is what they are known for. When it says that they devoted themselves, what it means is this is what they were loyal to. This is what they are attracted to or attached to. This is what they serve. This is what occupies themselves. This is what they are invested in. And so what did this church give itself to? One, a devotion to the apostles' teaching. And by nature of the context, what the, part of what that means is embracing Christ as the fulfillment of all of God's promise that they don't just try to interact with the Old Testament apart from Jesus, they interact with the Old Testament through the life and teachings of Jesus. This is a Christ-centered community as they are committed to the apostles' doctrine. The apostles were the ones who sat and they learned from Jesus. They are the ones who watched Jesus. They got to hear what he taught and they got to see how he lived it out. And they have communicated that for us and so they what they were known for was not coming up with ideas not coming up with practices not coming up with strategies not coming up with what they thought was important what they were given to was looking at the teaching of the apostles and being willing to accept the teaching of christ through the apostles They didn't have to strategize what are are the 12 ways for us to do evangelism right now. They were known for is being so enraptured and in awe, the text says, of God that their lives manifested that awe. Does your life manifest an awe in the work of God? Or does your life manifest a rule-keeping morality that you like to point out to other people? They are a people devoted to the apostles' teaching. This means that they have to learn it. It means they have to live it. And that resulted in promoting it. Now, you've heard me say, over and over and over these same things, but I like to use ease. Embrace the gospel, embody the gospel, and extend that gospel to those outside of our walls. Embrace, embody, extend. This is what it is to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're also, notice here, devoted to fellowship. They are devoted to being the community that God has made them to be. There is a togetherness, there is a partnership, there is a co-participation in one another's lives. And as you see reflected here, it is a participation uh, very specifically here uh, in terms of money. But they were in each other's homes, they were in each other's lives. They knew how to pray for one another because they were interacting with one another. They knew what was happening, and they were sharing in the joys and the successes, and they were sharing in the failures and the difficulties. They were a people that were together. They were in each other's lives. They were in each other's homes. They knew what was going on. Now, one of the things that that means is that they were a safe enough place that people were willing to be vulnerable. Are we a safe place that actually... Not only facilit- that not only not only allows, but actually encourages true vulnerability for people who are still dirty, people who are still messy, having a place where they can find encouragement. Are we that kind of fellowship? Are we a fellowship like the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Make sure that we got the tie right, all the buttons buttoned up, and make sure that we don't share any real weakness with anybody because then we're going to get a visitation from the pastor. And I've pastored churches who were pastored by pastors like that before me. And the people lived in fear. They were fearful of being, being real with one another. Because they didn't want to get a visit. I want to visit you and not to wag my finger in your face, but to encourage you. And not just in the niceties of Southern culture, but in the realness of what you and I are going through on a daily basis. Are we going to be known for that kind of fellowship? are we going to be known for the kind of fellowship that matches up to all the social expectations of Southern culture plus Jesus? They were devoted to the breaking of the bread. So it's very clear in the Greek text that this is not just the breaking of bread. It is the breaking of the bread. And without going into too much detail, um, many... Uh, Reform scholars, especially, take the direct article V there to be an emphasis on the, the kind of bread that's being emphasized, and that is communion bread. That this was a people who were not just committed to community in general, but they were committed to the embodiment of that community in the way that they shared what they had with one another and the way that they would worship together around the communion table where where we enter into, once again, that rhythm of generosity of God as he gives himself to us through bread and cup. That when you and I come around this table, we are coming here to receive Jesus and we are coming here to receive Jesus in order that we have a fresh reception of Jesus to take with us back out into the world so that our lives can be marked by wonder and awe and not just be marked by morality and instruction. Our lives should be marked by morality instruction, but there is to be an awe that is part of that because of the morality and the instruction that we are receiving is nothing less than the person of Jesus Christ. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. To, they were devoted to real fellowship. They were devoted to communion. And by the way, by the accounts that we have of the early church, they took communion every time they came together on the Lord's Day and worshipped. And notice here, lastly, they are devoted to the prayers. Once again, the prayers, because the way that worship was understood in that day was often structured around different prayers that were offered to God in the service. When you, right now, at the time in which this was being written, you had a worship taking place in the synagogue and synagogue worship was this litany of different prayers there were where there was adoration there was confession there was eulogy scripture readings there was a sermon there was a benediction does that sound familiar and what we know from the early church is that when they came together on the Lord's Day after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the new covenant community, as it was marked by a weekly commitment to meeting together around the means of grace, they often referred to the service as the prayers. Because they had to come together to be renewed in who they were together so that they could continue to embody the gospel for a world that was in desperate need of it. The Anglican church decided to describe its order of worship as the book of common prayer. Calvin, when when he was uh, uh, pastoring churches, he referred to his worship service as the form of church church prayers this is a historic way that the church through the generations has understood what lord's day worship is all about it is the coming together to once again receive from the lord and pour out our prayers to him in response we're the covenant community living in a covenant conversation comes together in order to be devoted to the Lord and one another by worshiping as a congregation. You don't come into this place on Sunday in order to have your own personal worship experience while you happen to be surrounded by other people who are each having their own personal worship experience. We come to worship as a body. We come to worship as the church. We come to speak with the voice that is responding to God as we speak together as those who are one body in Jesus Christ. Even as that oneness is participated in through the one bread and the one cup. There is a unity, there is a a togetherness, there is a fellowship, there is a community. There is union and communion with Christ that you have individually and corporately. And they were committed to these things. If we are going to be a successful gospel preaching church if we are going to be a successful gospel living church if we are going to be a successful gospel worshiping church it is because we will we will focus our attention in these four areas of living together in a real way before God and before one another because of what Jesus Christ has completely fulfilled for us. And not living together to use one another, not living together to network for our business, not living together to try to get something that I don't have, whether that is monetary or if it's emotional. We live together in order to be together and to encourage one another as we take up the cross and we live sacrificially for God and for one another with our time, with our treasures, and with our talents. What is church membership about? Church membership is about the session encouraging you individually and corporally to be a people who are characterized by a gospel devotion to embracing, to embodying, to extending a Christ-centered understanding of the scripture and redemptive history. Committed to being in one another's lives. Committed to this table and all that this table gives us and all that this table asks of us. And giving ourselves to this right here. One of the reasons I didn't want to do this text is because we've been in this weird pandemic phase and the session had made the decision to try to respect consciences of people who didn't feel safe coming or who didn't feel like, like, like their space was going to be respected by others. And so we're choosing to stay home and participate through our live stream. And and so we wanted to support that. We wanted to encourage people to do things according to their conscience. But recently the session decided it is time for us to move forward. It is time for us to be here. It is time for us to be in each other's homes. It is time to do more than talk on the phone and certainly time to do more than anything having to do with Skype and all that. A necessary evil for sure. It is time for us to be together and to reveal to this community that through our striving with one another to serve one another, to love one another, in response to the love we have received from God, that this community would know that there is something more than politics. There is something more than their job. There is something more than relationships. There is something more than physical intimacy. There is something more than rule-keeping. There is something more than money. There is something more than any of those things that this community is defining itself by, and there is something transcendent. And the only way that they are going to see that is by seeing it in us. And so is this what you're committed to? Are you committed to serving the Lord and serving one another in a sacrificial way in which the totality of our lives is is a participation in the rhythms of generosity and grace of Jesus Christ as he gives himself to us and as we give ourselves to him And to one another. As we are about to go through this this time of the communion table. And this time of receiving new members. This is why we are doing it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father bless us today as we. A people who do not deserve your love or your grace. A people who have worked against your love and your grace. And not only before receiving it but even after. After as we continue to struggle with loving ourselves more than we love you and as we continue to struggle with loving our neighbor more than we uh, loving ourselves more than we love our neighbor help us lord to embrace the apostles teaching not only in the words that that come to us in the in the text of scripture but as those words are brought to us in fulfillment in the picture of christ in the bread and in the cup in the picture of the union and communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is put on display as new members make promises before you and one another. Lord, may this indeed be for your glory and for our joy as we long to be a gospel church devoted to the few things that you tell us to devote ourselves to. Help us not to get distracted. Help us not to get overcomplicated. But instead, help us to be people that are in such awe of you that our lives manifest Christ in our words and in our works. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.